Hosea chapter number 1, verse number 1, the word of the Lord that came unto Hosea, the son of Beri, in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, the king of Israel, the beginning of the word of the Lord by Hosea. The Lord said to Hosea, Go take unto thee a wife of whoredoms and children of whoredoms, for the land hath committed great whoredom, departing from the Lord. Then you find that she has one child by Hosea, and then she brings home a second and a third child that are not his, that are children of whoredoms. In chapter 2 and verse 1, you see the word of the Lord go out to her and say unto your brethren, Am I, and to your sisters, Rahim, I plead with your mother, plead, for she's not my wife, neither am I her husband. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her sight and her adulteries from between her breasts, lest I strip her naked and set her as in the day she was born and make her a wilderness and set her like a dry land, and slay her with thirst. In chapter 2, you see, as God deals with the nation of Israel to bring them to a place of repentance. In chapter number 3, finally, you see the climax of this portion of the story. In verse number 1, Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet love a woman, beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress, according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel, who looked to other gods and loved flagons of wine. So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver, for an homer of barley and a half homer of barley. And I said unto her, Thou shalt abide for me many days. Thou shalt not play the harlot. Thou shalt not be for another man. So will I also be for thee. Verse number one, the word of God says, Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet love a woman, beloved of her friend. If God will help me this morning, I want to expound the scriptures that I've read. And I want to talk to you on the subject of a woman beloved of her friend. When I look into this story, this is about as disgusting and repulsive a scripture as you're going to find in the word of God. God does this in tenderness and does this in love. There are several things that I want to bring out this morning. And the first thing that I see in this scripture I want you to get a hold of is I want you to see Gomer's filth. God uses Gomer, an adulteress. When you think about adultery in the day and the age that we live in, that really doesn't mean anything to America. And that's one of the reasons we're in the mess we're in. We've raised up a generation that'll shack up like dogs. They don't know the first thing about making a commitment, a bunch of whores and whoremongers. And the Word of God tells us very clearly that marriage is honorable and all in the bed undefiled. But whoremongers and adulterers, God will judge. And we see the judgment of God on this nation more than 55 sexually transmitted diseases in America today. Son, teenager, let me tell you something, boys. There's something out there that'll get you Ajax won't take off. Amen. 
And it's all because the sins of this nation and God's judgment upon this nation because God hates adultery. Because it's a picture, if you will, as you see God and His people, the nation of Israel. It's a picture of Christ in the church, in marriage. And that's why the devil has tried to so wreck the home and pollute the home and make such a perversion out of marriage. God uses Gomer, an adulteress, a horse woman, and a prostitute as a graphic and a grotesque illustration of the depth of the depravity of the human heart and how far man will go to hurt God in search of some satisfaction of his own depraved lust. Hey, friend, you better mark it down. If you're not saved by the grace of God this morning, you'll do whatever you have to do to hurt God just to get your own little us satisfied. Proverbs 7 gives us a clear illustration of a prostitute and a harlot. The Word of God says in Proverbs 17, Behold, there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart. The word subtle means secret. The word subtle means hidden. Jeremiah 17, 9 says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked and who can know it? And God says the heart of a prostitute is a secret thing. She don't let you know what's really on the inside. I see that in a lot of church members this morning. A lot of folks inside the walls of fundamental Bible believing Baptist churches that are subtle in hearts, that are spiritual prostitutes that do what they do to get whatever fulfillment they can find in their own lives but they do not love God. They do not love the church and their hearts subtle. It's secret and it's hidden. And Proverbs seven eleven says she's loud. That means she wants to be noticed and like Lucifer, she's so beguiled by her own beauty, she wants all eyes to be on her. The word of God said in Proverbs 7, she's stubborn. That means she will not be told what to do. I'm going to tell you what, friend, that's where human flesh is. Whether you realize this or understand this, this is a picture of all of us apart from the grace of God. Stubborn and do not want to be told what to do. Nor to God set her feet abide not in her own house. Now she's without in the streets and lieth and waited every corner. That simply means she cannot be satisfied and she's always on the prowl looking for one more thrill that will give her what she's looking for. Proverbs 7, 13 says she has an imprudent face. By definition, that word imprudent means strong-willed and self-hardened. It means that no matter what, the end justifies the means. That means whatever I have to do to get what I want, nobody's business but mine. That's the idea of a prostitute this morning. That she leaves her loving husband, she leaves her infant children to chase after her lovers and whatever twisted pleasures she can find and sharply declares a lot, of, a lot of young people have told me in the last two or three years preacher, I don't need nobody to judge me. Yeah. Jeremiah 3 and verse 3 says, Thou hadst a whore's forehead. Thou refusest to be ashamed. 
We see a woman so blinded by her own pride and her own self-conceit and her own self-will that she could never admit she's wrong. And God said, Thou hadst a whore's forehead and refuses to be ashamed. Yet the sad reality is she's a dirty, defiled, polluted prostitute. She's been with every man that have her. And every ounce of virtue and every ounce of human dignity that she's ever known is now wasted and thrown in the dirt. And she searches for some elusive dream that's never brought her a moment's peace. She's reduced to the vilest of acts as a prostitute. I won't preach these points, but she's battered. She's bruised. She's bitter. And she's belligerent. Yet blindly she refuses to admit there's any problem or anything wrong. Preacher, leave me alone. I'll search for my pleasure anywhere I see fit. Boy, I've watched them time and time again in the major cities. Brother Jesse, as I preached in Tampa, Florida, in one little old church, Brother Tim, that we preached in. Sister Lord, I couldn't go from the parking lot of the church to the building without having to pass those obnoxious, belligerent prostitutes on the city streets of Tampa at East Sly Avenue in downtown Tampa. Brother James, so belligerent, they'd jump in your face and say all kinds of lewd and vile things and step out in front of the cars and the traffic, willing to do whatever they got to do to get whatever it is they won't and never admit they've got any problem. But Ezekiel chapter 16 and verse number 1, the word of God says again, the word of the Lord came unto me saying, Son of man, cause Jerusalem to know her abominations and say, Thus saith the Lord God unto Jerusalem, thy birth and thy nativities of the land of Canaan. Thy father was an Amorite, thy mother a Hittite. And as for thy nativity in the day thou wast born, thy navel was not cut, neither was thou washed in water to supple thee, and thou wast not salted at all, nor swaddled at all. None I pitied thee to do any of these unto thee. I have compassion upon thee, but thou wast cast out in the open field to the loathing of thy person in the day that thou wast born. When I passed by thee and saw thee polluted in thine own blood, I said to thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. Yea, I said to thee, when thou wast in thy blood, live. God paints a vivid picture where he found you before he saved you, wallowing in your own blood, defiled and polluted. And man has such a problem ever seeing himself in his own filth. Man has a problem ever seeing himself as Gomer. But if you never see yourself a sinner, you'll never need a Savior. And the sad, solemn realization is that in reality, in the sight of a holy God, we're all a gomer. We miss that. We've tried to salt pedal this thing and soap it up, wash it up, sprinkle it down, make it all look better. But when it boils right down to it, all of us in the sight of a holy God are a defiled, polluted prostitute. I see her filth. I see her folly. Folly means foolishness. In Hosea chapter 2 verse 1, look at the word of God. Saying to your brethren, Ami, and to your sisters, Rahema. That word Ami means my people. It literally means my little group, my little flock. And that word Rahama means my people that have received mercy. 
I've explained this in great detail on other occasions, but lest you forgot this morning, there's a tremendous difference between mercy and grace, Michael. The word grace, Brother Wesley, simply means unmerited love and favor. The word grace is what God gives you, Brother Jesse, that you really don't deserve. It's just a good thing that God's just God, and just because He is God, just because He can, He just gives you a sweet blessing and a sweet gift. And that's what grace is, Brother James. But mercy is an entirely different thing. Mercy is what you do deserve that God don't give you. Brother Jesse, mercy is every time I curse God and God had every right to jerk the rug out from under me and slam me in a devil's hell. He didn't do it because he had mercy. Every time I stuck down some old dope or done some Budweiser's or something other, laid up somewhere drunk and God had every right to send me to hell right then, God had mercy and God put up with a lot of stuff off me and his long suffering. Because he's having mercy, because he didn't want to put me in hell. The word of God tells us here, plead with your mother, plead. He uses that word two times. They didn't plead with her just once, but there's a second witness. She's not my wife, neither am I her husband. And the word of God says here in her folly, I'm talking about her folly. Let her therefore put away her whoredoms out of her side and her adulteries from between her breast. She was warned and she was given opportunity to repent at the word of the Lord. Brother Wesley, this didn't have to go any farther than it's already gone. He said, go, you children of whoredoms, you children of hers. You go to your mom and you tell her, I said, come home now and repent. You can see her children as her precious little innocent children that didn't mean to be what they were. Goes to mom and says, Baba, would you please come home? Baba, daddy said everything will be all right if you just come back now. Daddy said, he'll forgive you and let you come back and it would be like it used to be mama. And you see those children beg their mama, please come home. And you see a picture of a man of God and the Holy Ghost of God sets up a meeting or a service or a preacher that stands before a congregation and pleads and says, would you just come home now? What can be all right now? This thing can be fixed right now. You got opportunity right now. But she hardened her heart and resisted the call of God. Gomer's going to go, but she's going to go the hard way. What a tragedy to see God heads up your way with thorns and a sovereign supernaturally bring you to this place for such a time as this. And men and women and young people sit in this church congregation and rebel against the Holy Ghost of God and harden your heart against God and miss what God's got for you. God God knows how to get you. But I'm going to tell you what, friend, you can go the easy way, you can go the hard way. Just a couple of Sunday mornings ago, I'm just, I listen, I, I ain't dodging this, I ain't running from it. Just a couple of Sunday mornings ago, we saw one that we love and we know very well. 
A middle-aged man that sat right in this section right here that's been here service after service after service. And I preached the message on Naaman's come too far to turn back now. And he said, Preacher Mike, I ain't, I ain't turning back now. I didn't come too far. I've never been in this thing too long now. I ain't giving up now. Preacher Mike, keep praying for me. Keep praying for me. And man is brought to a place where man's got to make a decision. I can't make it for you. Nobody else in this room can make it for you. And he walked out of this church on a Sunday afternoon, found himself before the day's end in Gaffney, South Carolina in jail. And today, as far as I know and understand, he's a three-time loser. And chances are, Daddy, he'll never get to sit in this church again. He will probably, unless God supernaturally intervenes. Are you listening? He will probably die in jail. Go, go ahead and throw your opportunity away. Go ahead. God brings you to a place. You've got to make a decision. You make your decision, friend. But you mark her down when God's gone. It's too late. Now, I love him and I care about him. And he may get some help, Brother Wesley. But he's probably going to have to get it in a prison cell somewhere. God says there's an easy way. You can come on now. Come on home, honey. He said, tell him. Tell him. Tell him. Come on home now. She can get in now and it'll be all right. No, she ain't going to go that way. She's a hard head. She wants to go the hard way. What a tragedy to see folks have to go that way. I see her folly. That means her foolishness. And I see her flesh. He's given her an opportunity to put away her whoredoms. With the word of God said in Hosea 4.14, I will not punish your daughters when they commit whoredom nor your spouses when they commit adultery. For themselves are separated with whores. They sacrifice with harlots. Therefore the people that doth not understand shall fall. You say, Preacher Mike, I'm not scared of God. Well, that's fine. You'd be whatever it is you are. I ain't scared of God judging me. Well, that's fine. That ain't what you've got to be afraid of. What you've got to be afraid of is God leaving you alone. That's what he told them. He said, I'm not going to judge your wives that commit adultery. I'm not going to judge your daughters that commit whoredom. All I'm going to do is leave them alone. They'll destroy themselves. And if God leaves you alone, that's exactly what you'll do. You'll destroy yourself because you can't get any help apart from God helping you. You cannot help yourself. And I see her flesh. And I see her absolute inability to help herself. And she just goes farther and farther and deeper and deeper. But finally, and I'll finish here, I see Hosea's faithfulness. Back in chapter 2, verse 5, let me read you some verses. For their mother hath played the harlot, and she that conceived them hath done shamefully. For she said, I'll go after my lovers that give me bread and my water and my wool and my flax and mine oil and my drink. Therefore, behold... I will hedge up thy way with thorns, make a wall that she shall not find her path. She shall follow after her lovers, but she shall not overtake them. She shall seek them, but shall not find them. Then shall she say, I will go and return to my first husband, for then was it better with me than now. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. 
I see here a gruesome picture. And you see Hosea as he walks the streets in the downtown in the dark, depraved places. He hears a familiar voice. It's the voice of Gomer. As she flirts and cuts up with some other woman's husband. He heals her as she flirts and she plays. And she has another drink and another dance and another song. It's getting late and he watches in the shadows of the street that she's so engulfed in the love of some other woman's husband that she walks right by him and never sees who he is. And she's on her way to some secret rendezvous in some bedroom in some secret place. And she spends the night in the arms of some other woman's husband. And in the morning he's left and he's gone to work. And I say, Gomer, she goes outside the door and finds a loaf of bread and a bottle of grape juice. And she thinks that's your payment for a night of lust. Miss Christie never understanding the whole time that it was her husband, Hosea, that had slipped out while she was there in the night and left something outside the door because he knew he was sorry men wasn't going to take care of her. He didn't want to see her do without. He didn't want to see her in the streets naked and begging and having nothing to eat. And that's exactly where I was, where you was before God found you. Every breath I ever drew, God gave me, and I never appreciated a thing God ever done for me. Every dollar I ever spent on a dope or spent on a Budweiser was a dollar God let me have, and I never appreciated a thing he ever done for me. Hey, listen, you seeing this today, you see yourself as Gomer, because if you don't, you'll die and go to hell. You see here everything that he'd given her, she wasted, and the whole time she thought that that bunch of whorehoppers was giving her that, Brother Tim, they wasn't giving her nothing. The one that loved her was giving her everything. But I'll tell you what he said. Hosea said, therefore I return and take away my corn in time thereof and my wine in the season thereof and will recover my wool and my flax given to cover her nakedness. Now will I discover her lewdness in the sight of her lovers. None shall deliver her out of mine hand. I will also cause all her mirth to cease. Her feast days and her new moons and her Sabbaths and her solemn feast." And I'll destroy her vines and her fig trees, whereof she has said, These are my rewards that my lovers have given me. And I'll make them a forest, and the beast of the field shall eat them. And I will visit upon her the days of Balaam, wherein she burned incense to them, and she decked herself with her earrings and her jewels, and she went after her lovers and forgot me, saith the Lord. You say, Is God punishing her? No. That ain't what he's doing. You know what God's doing? God's letting her have what she wanted. Because God's going to make sure something right here. He's going to make sure she gets sick of how she's living. Because if you don't ever get sick of who you are and what you are, you ain't never going to run to Jesus. You ain't never going to get broken. You ain't never going to have a repentant heart Do you get sick of what you are. And what he's doing here, he ain't being ugly to her. He ain't being mean to her. He's helping her. He's letting her get to the bottom, Brother Allen, where she can see what she really is. And he's taking away all them good gifts he's given her. And the Word of God said in verse 14, Therefore, behold, I will allure her and bring her in 
to the wilderness and speak comfortably unto her, and I will give her vineyards from thence and the valley of Achor for a door of hope. And she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up out of the land of Egypt. He said, I'm going to make her brand new. He said, I'm going to make her so happy and so innocent. It'll be just like the day she came up out of Egypt and she's got a brand new fresh start. But said, before she ever gets there, she's going to have to go to the Valley of Achor. That's her door of hope. If you know anything about your Bible, you understand that when the children of Israel had crossed over the Jordan, Joshua had led the children of Israel into battle against Jericho. And the city of Ai rest upon the top of the hill and the children of Israel want to take their leisure and they say, let's just send a few up to Ai. It's just a small place and it's no big deal. They didn't realize that there was a man by the name of Achan that had already taken a wedge of gold and a Babylonian garment and the accursed things that God told him not to take and hid those things in his tent. And they went up to Ai and they were defeated before the men of Ai. And they ran back like a dog with their tail tucked between their legs and they yelped and they whined and they cried, what's happened? And the Lord told Joshua to get up. There was sin in the camp. And Joshua stands up and God reveals to him Achan and what Achan's done. And he calls on Achan and says, Achan, stand up and give God glory. Brother Mark, Achan can't worship God. Achan's got sin in his life. And Achan comes forth and brings out the stuff out of his tent that he's taken away that was accursed things. And they took Achan and his entire family into the valley of Achor and they stoned them there with stones. And they slew him that his sin may be upon his own head. And that valley of Achor by definition means a valley of trouble. And that's where Israel was troubled and that's where Israel was brought to a place they had to deal with their sin. What do you mean that God would give her the valley of Achor for a door of hope? You know what your door of hope is, friend? Not that God would leave you alone and not that God would judge you and strike you with a lightning bolt. That God would trouble your world enough. That God would leave you alone just enough that you'd find out how sickening you really are and how sick you are in your sin. And I've told you time and time again again the night I got saved I was not the least bit afraid of going to hell the night I got saved I was afraid of living another day as miserable as I was and what God's doing with some of you he's letting you get miserable he's letting you see who you are and what you are in the sight of God and God's not picking on you you say preacher I prayed and I prayed and I've tried to get some help well keep praying friend God's just letting you get miserable God's trying to get you to a place where you can see who you are and what you've done to God and friend God knows how to get your attention well, I would suggest to you this morning you tenderize your heart the best way you know how as quick as you can Because if God really goes after you, God knows how to get you. Uh, Your biggest fear ought to be that God don't bother you. You're going to have to reach the bottom somewhere. In October of 1994, we pulled up in a little old church bus in Kiev in the Ukraine in the former Soviet Union. We pulled up outside a gate and we waited as our little group, Miss Laura, gathered together outside that 
gate and those bars for somebody to come and open that gate and let us into the building. We were entering a communist hospital that was a prison hospital, Brother Tim, that was set aside for young girls with sexually transmitted disease. Most of these girls were prostitutes that had AIDS. I was consciously aware after we were let inside those gates and we were let inside the door into the building and we started up a set of steps. I was very consciously aware, Miss Linda, not to touch the handrail as we walked up through that building. God only knows what loathsome diseases bred and lived in those horrid halls of that dark dungeon type place. We walked into that building and we were took our place where we were going to have service and I would have a blessed opportunity to preach the word of God to these prostitutes, many of them with AIDS and all with sexually transmitted disease. Those girls began to file in and one of the first things you noticed was the stench of body odor. They were dirty. Hey, listen, this is not some Kiev nightclub. They don't have the pretties, the dainties, the niceties of their prostitution. Now they're in little hospital gowns that are falling off and they're dirty and they're sweaty and they smell bad. And I watched as 40 teenage girls were brought into that room, Miss Megan. Many of them were ashamed and they buried their faces in their tattered hospital gowns as they sat for the service that day. And God moved in that place in a sovereign opportunity to bring our gospel and good news to a bunch of prostitutes. Open my Bible to Hebrews chapter 9 and told them that it was appointed unto man once to die and after this the judgment. Then I opened my Bible to Matthew chapter 27 and told them about the Son of God that came to take their judgment for them. Brother Jesse, I had an outline, I had a message, I had a thought that day. But Miss Linda, long before I ever got to the end of my message, those girls began to sob uncontrollably. Many of them were weeping out loud, Miss Lori, to the point I couldn't even finish my message. Because the big preacher showed up and showed some little prostitutes in jail. Many of them died of incurable sexually transmitted disease that somebody 2,000 years ago died to take their torment for them. Brother Jesse, they had to reach the bottom, friend. But in their bottom, they found out they was Gomer. (laughs) They found out Hosea loved them and cared about them. Hosea can't help Gomer till Gomer gets to the bottom. So far, she ain't there yet. Some of y'all ain't there yet. And God can't help you till you find out who you really are. There's some of you sitting here this morning, I love you, I'm your friend. But I know without any shadow of a doubt, there's a witness of the Holy Ghost. There's folks that sit in this congregation this morning. You have never been able to come to the realization of what you really are. You've never been able to really admit what you've done. How you've treated God, how you've treated your family, how you've treated your children, how you've treated your parents and those around you. And until Gomer sees what she is, she won't get no help. But in Hosea chapter 3 verse number 1, the word of God said, Then said the Lord unto me, Go ye, go yet, love a woman beloved of her friend, yet an adulteress according to the love of the Lord toward the children of Israel. 
who look to other gods and love flagons of wine. The word of God said in verse 2, So I bought her to me for 15 pieces of silver and for an homer of barley and a half homer of barley. What a gruesome picture of the diminished value of the polluted people of Israel. This is to show Israel just how low she sunk. This picture today is just to show lost and unregenerate man just how far away from God you really are. As you see this picture, I see this girl. She's older now. She's not attractive anymore. I don't mean to be quite so graphic, but every man that's wanted her has had her. Now they don't let them want her anymore. She's useless to them. They stand her up on the auction block. As you see this, you see such a gruesome picture, Brother Wesley. They've stripped her clothes away. But if they don't give her any decency whatsoever, Miss Nita, she's naked. Standing in the city street among everybody. And the auctioneer begins to say, who would give this? And who would give that? I don't find, Brother James, in the Word of God, there was anybody making any bids on her that day. If they were, it was a joke. Some old boy that's had her long ago said, I wouldn't give 15 cents for that dog. Had her for free more than once. And she's ridiculed and she's humiliated and she stands there. This day, her pride's gone, Miss Megan. Ain't no pride left in this old gal now. That loud whore that stood up and made fun and, and jeered at others now, they walk by and wag their head and make fun at her. She ain't got no pretty makeup. She ain't got no pretty jewels and no earrings. But she stands there naked, used and abused, and now she's refused. And she hears a familiar voice come out of that crowd. She's heard that voice before. There's a man making a bid, a man making a bargain for her. This ain't the regular price of a slave. The regular price of a slave was 30 pieces of silver. And the word of God said that he brought 15 pieces of silver, a homer of barley and a half homer of barley. Ain't nobody else bidding on her, Brother Wesley. Well, ain't nobody else wants her. She just owes a debt she can't pay. And the one that owns her just wants his money back. I'll take what I can get. In Isaiah 53, verse number 1, I'm through. The Word of God said, Who hath believed our report? To whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow it before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form or comeliness, and when we shall see him, there's no beauty that we should desire him. He's despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we're healed. All we like sheep have gone astray and turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. 
he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth. There was no complaint from him. He was brought as a lamb to a slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is done. So he opened not his mouth. There's two things I'll give you in our clothes about the price that he paid for her. Such an unusual quantity that he brought 15 pieces of silver and he brought a homer and a half homer of barley, Brother Tim. Based on the word of God, I'm absolutely confident this morning there ain't nobody else bidding, Gary. There ain't nobody else wants her. But the bid he made for her, he wasn't carrying all that barley with him. He had to go back out of the city to get it. He didn't have all that with him. Many say that's as much as 45 bushels of barley. He wasn't carrying that that day. He had to go somewhere and get it, Gary. He'd go back outside the city and get it. 2,000 years ago, outside the city of Jerusalem, the sweet Son of God had to pay my debt. Hey, why, Brother Tim, did he bring 15 pieces of silver and homer and half homer of barley? Why is that what he brought? I'll tell you why. It's all he had. It's all he had, Brother Wesley. He didn't have anything else. He said, wait, I'm going home. I'm going to bring you back what I got. And that's all I got. Just outside the city walls of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago, God gave all he had. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. His only begotten son, Brother Wesley, he that knew no sin became sin that I might become the righteousness of Christ. And Jesus Christ may have been God and he was 100% God. But the Lord Jesus Christ laid down his godly attributes when he came to this world. Brother James, think about this for a minute. The Lord Jesus Christ, everything he did every miracle everything the sweet Lord Jesus did on this earth he did not do in his own power he did it in the power of the father he came as a human man in total submission to the will of God and as a human man in total submission to the will of God he gave everything brother Jason everything He didn't have one thought that wasn't of the Father. Not one deed that wasn't the will of the Father. And he took that sacrifice to Calvary to pay for my debt. You see, she was already his wife. She was already married to him, Tilly. He already owned her. He didn't know her squat. But he wanted her. And he was willing to pay for her. And he gave everything he had. And he brought it and he paid the price. Then you see his friendship. Hosea 3, 1. Then said the Lord unto me, Go yet love a woman beloved of her friend. Chapter 2, verse 16. It shall be at that day, saith the Lord, that thou shalt call me Ishai, and shalt call me no more Belai. Belai has to do with the God Baal. Has to do with lordship over her and being a ruler over her. And he said, I'm going to buy you. I'm going to pay for you. 
But not so you'll call me master, but so you'll call me Ishai. So you'll call me your husband, and you'll call me your friend. I'm going somewhere. Stay with me a minute. They shall no more be remembered by their name. And in that day will I make a covenant for them with the beast of the field and with the fowl of heaven and with the creeping things of the ground. And I will break the bow and the sword of the battle out of the earth and will make them to lie down safely. And I will betroth thee unto me forever. Yea, I will betroth thee unto me in righteousness and in judgment and in loving kindness and in mercies. I will even betroth thee unto me in faithfulness. Listen to this. And thou shalt know the Lord. Brother Wesley, she's lived with him, but she don't know him. Miss Nita, all them years she's in church, you even, you even called yourself by his name, but she didn't know him. That's why she got in the mess she's in, Brother Tim. She lived with him, but she didn't know him. He said, there's going to come a day you're going to know me. You're going to know who I am. But you know why she couldn't know him in his holiness? Because she had never known herself in her harlotry. She could never appreciate who he was until she saw what she was and how much he really loved her. And you'll never love a Savior until you see yourself a sinner. And here's a woman beloved of her friend. You know what? All she's ever seen is a master. All she's ever seen in life, as far as her perspective was concerned, was somebody to tell her what to do. And that's what a lot of people see out of God. Just rules and regulations and somebody tell me what to do. That's all I ever see, Brother Tim, is God's just a bunch of rules and regulations. And if I come to God, I'm just going to put myself in handcuffs to a bunch of rules and regulations. But they never know who he is. They never know it's going to be the sweetest friend that you ever known. But I'm going to tell you what I can't even begin to explain this morning, what I got the night I got saved. I thought I had a bunch of buddies in this world and come find out I had the best friends money could buy. But I'm going to tell you what, the night I got humble before Jesus, I saw myself as a low-down, sorry sinner. By the way, it's the night I got saved, I could see Mike for who Mike really was. I mean, I didn't have nothing to give God. I didn't have nothing I could offer him. I didn't have no church membership I could give him. I didn't have no tithes and offerings I could give him. I was nothing. And I was gone on that auction block. Miss Lord shamed and bowed my head in shame. I'm going to tell you what, when he come back in town, I guarantee you one thing, Miss Linda. When he come back carrying them bushels of barley and he came back with them 15 pieces of silver, I guarantee you one thing, Brother Wesley. And he brought her back a covering, Brother Jesse. And he clothed her in his own robe and his own righteousness. He's the best friend she's ever known now. Now, Brother Wesley, she ain't just his wife, she's his friend. When I got saved, I got a friend. Folks don't know Jesus. They don't know a thing about Him. All they know is the laws and the rules and the regulations. And I'm absolutely convinced. I'm absolutely convinced that the vast majority of folks sitting in Baptist churches today are LOST lost. Because all they know is the rules and the regulations. They ain't never known a friend. They ain't never known Him and His fellowship. Because most of them ain't never seen their self as gone. 
Brother Ricky, that's what conviction brings you to is the place where you see just how low down, how dirty you are, just what you're really worth. Today, I ain't worth nothing, Brother Wesley. Today, I'm worthless. Brother, he saw something in me, and he wanted me. Miss Needy must have been worth something because he gave everything he had for you. And if you're lost this morning, he's willing to give everything he's got for you. But you're going to have to see what you're worth. You're going to have to see yourself and your sin before you ever see your need for a Savior. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed while we wait just a minute. I love you this morning. God trying to show some of you you're in need. You're hurt. You can't help yourself. You can't fix yourself. He loves you so much. Hey, there ain't nobody bidding against God for your soul. Nobody else wants you. There ain't nobody else that have you. Satan don't want you. Why, he's got problems of his own. He just won't see you make a fool out of yourself. And Satan knows if he leaves you alone, God leaves you alone, you're going to destroy yourself. He don't need to destroy you. Just leave you alone. I'm going to tell you the worst thing can ever happen to you, friends. God leave you alone. Absolute worst thing can happen to you is for God just forget your name, forget you ever existed. But this morning, if you're bothered... If you're seeing yourself and your shame and your degradation, it's because God loves you enough to show you who you are and what your need is. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. We're waiting just a minute. Have you seen yourself as Gomer yet? Have you seen yourself in all that despicable, disgusting, repulsive way that you see that prostitute and all her disease and all her defilement? That's you, friend. And if you can't see it, you miss the whole thing.